0: All right. let us pray in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit one god amen lord make us worthy to pray thankfully our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespasses against us lead us not temptation but may be one christ Jesus, our lord for thine is the kingdom the power and glory forever and ever amen online. I know you guys don't, um, like there's no mic for them out there. So if you guys want to follow along in, um, with your own Bibles, um, might be easier. Alrighty. Now the screen's not working. So the people online are going to be able to see things that you can't, because I wanted to show you guys physically where this is happening. Um, so if you're watching on your phones, it'll work, but, um, so in and, and the first slide, there's a picture of, of, of Israel in general or Palestine, whatever your political leaning is. Um, but there's <laughs> the Sea of Galilee is is not a circle. OK, um, and we'll see in a section, but it's like kind of like a, a, a weirdly shaped um, thing, like a heart. Um, and the reason why I wanted to show it is that because there's there's a bunch of stuff going on in this chapter. And actually, this is a place that the Lord comes back to a lot. Um, and so we're going to see, as we already read, but we're going to analyze a little bit, like it says that they had seen that there had only been one boat that the disciples had left and Christ hadn't left with them, but then they find him on the other side and they're saying, when did you come? Because the disciples have taken a boat across. So if you can picture, let's just call it a circle. They've taken a line across when they, when they row, right? Whereas the people have walked. Right. They go up and around. They're taking like the land route because it's not big. It's kind of like a Californian lake. No offense, people online, not a Canadian lake. Right. Where like the lakes are more like ponds to us, um, where like they're small and they're enclosed and they're and they're very, very basic. Um, and so in the Gospel of John is happening near the city of Tiberias, which is where the arrow is pointing at in the picture that you guys can't see. Um, and, and so it's in like the like the southwest side of the of the lake. Um, In Matthew and Luke, they're pointing actually on a different part of the lake for where it's happening, which I don't think is really a big deal, Um, in the sense that John's not even that specific about where it is. They're saying it's near the city of of Tiberias. But I wanted you guys to see pictures, like this next picture that you guys can not see, is an actual picture of where that is in real life. How's it going, John? Um, And so just that you can have an an image of it, right? Like of like what the people are seeing when they sit there. Um, So they're sitting right now on the coast, right? Um, Where they can look out and see, um, I need to meet everybody because I can hear people online. Um, They can see across the lake um, and you can see the mountainside um, and where this is like, when you can see the beauty, beauty of it, you might be able to realize like the context of this is that the Lord went there to chill. Right. We see from the other gospels that he wanted a timeout. The people had been having a lot of needs. So he had been nonstop working, him and the disciples. And so he actually just wanted to retreat. He wanted to get away. Right. Which is cool to see how our Lord was as, as a human, right? In the sense that he liked to chill and he clearly liked nature. And he would go to these random places Garden of Gethsemane, the sea by Tiberius. He had his spots, right? Where when he could go there, he would feel um. Like he could get away. So this is where they came. And and if you can imagine, there's 5,000 men alone there, plus the women and the children, right? So we're probably looking at somewhere in the seven to eight K range or more um, that are all there. So this place is probably not, you probably couldn't see the land um, in in real life. Um, The next picture you can't see (laughs) is a view from on the lake in a fishing boat, but a modern one, um looking towards the shore where christ would be right so you can see the mountain you can see the layout and this picture is probably more accurate than the last one in terms of what's going on because um we can tell from the story that there's greenery that there's grass which means that it's springtime um so it's more going to be like lush and and green and and pretty um i'm on the last one (laughs) sorry um And so this is to show you zooming on the lake. So Tiberius is on the left. Um, Capernaum Capernaum is in the northeast side. And that's where he's going to end up by the end of the story, right? Where people are going to get really angry. And so there's something that I think we don't pay attention to reading the Gospels is that there's this constant conversation happening that we sometimes view as instantaneous, right? Where if you can imagine that the fight has started because they fight with him as usual. In the Gospel of John, they're always fighting him. Um, And... It goes all the way across the sea, right? The fight picks up in Capernaum and in the synagogue, right? And then actually in the next chapter, we're going to start. It's going to be a monumental fight, but back in Jerusalem. Um, So I just want you guys to have visuals like of of where things are, because I think it makes things more real, right? Like if somebody were to tell a story about St. Mary's and 50 years and like, oh, it's because of the Renaults no one can imagine that but when you've walked in and you see what that looks like. Right. Then it's just like, Oh, okay. So we couldn't use this area. Like, like it gives you like a, an idea of what it was like. Um, and I also think it's cool to know that, um, that our Lord was, was into nature. Um, I guess, cause he made it. Um, it's a good reason. All right. So we will now get into the chapter. And I brought my own notes. Okay wanted to take a break um he was tired so they go to a mountain to retire and he's just chilling with the disciples which again like i'm gonna zoom in zoom out on on random things it's also comforting to know that even the lord recognizes that servants need a break sometimes right that it's not just like if you can give give he also recognized that there is a need to pause right and said like let's go back unfortunately for the disciples (laughs) um because the lord is long-suffering instead of the people leaving their coming <laughs> and the lord sees them from afar off in the gospel of john and it's like he plans ahead because in in the in the narrative in the gospel of john so this story is in all four gospels it's one of one of the very few things that shows up in all four right in the narrative here it's almost like christ is preemptively asking what are we going to do about this um and so it's interesting because we don't see much, like saint john's gospel does not often name people um like throughout the gospel um but actually philip and andrew are named in this in this chapter and it's cool because we don't hear too much from philip in other places andrew makes some cameos um but in the middle of their rest the lord asks them what will we do about all these people um which if i was the disciples i think i would tell them to leave um which is clearly not what the lord is, is intimating um to do But before we get into all this right now, is that this scene is so reminiscent of the Old Testament, okay? Because here's Christ on a mountain. Who are the people throughout this gospel constantly saying, is this the prophet that was to come, that from Deuteronomy was a prophet like Moses, right? Where does God deliver them the new covenant? On a mountain, right? Where do the people grumble to moses in the mountain where is their manna from heaven in their exile on the mountain right so there's so much that's going on here that is very like jesus moses jesus moses that if you're paying attention would 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 really line up um and it's actually interesting because even some of the very words that our lord uses are things that moses said um and there are things that the people are saying that the people did too um and we'll we'll get into that um so philip's gonna which is very similar to Moses asking where can I get meat for all these people Right. Moses himself asks that when the people are grumbling um, in Numbers, the book of Numbers um, and other parallels is going to be the murmuring of the people like we said the description of the manna um, the reference to eating of the flesh I can put these all on, online, I don't want to bore you with every single one, but there's a lot going on um, that's that's being mirrored um so verse one through nine is that setup, right? And we're told it's the Passover, and the reason why I want to point out that it's the Passover is because John six is what we consider a strongly Eucharistic chapter, even though the discourse that the Lord is going to give about his body and blood is not happening in this chapter during the Last Supper, and it is actually not happening during the feeding of the multitudes. Right. That's why there is a body of opinion that doesn't think that this is Eucharistic. All the traditional churches do. Um, but the fact that it's taking place during Passover in and of itself can also make it Eucharistic. Um, but I, I won't get into that debate for now. We can later if you guys want. But it's also reminiscent of Elisha. Right. Who also is this associated figure, messianic figure. Right. Because there's a story of Elisha, the prophet. Um And he's coming from some fancy named city. Um, And Elisha asks for the people to give these men that are arriving to the city something to eat. And his servant says, how am I supposed to feed them? Right. We don't have enough food. There's famine. There's issues. Right. And so he repeats, Elisha repeats, give them to eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. Right. Right. so he said before them and they ate and had some left according to the word that Lord had said. I'm saying this because it's it's very cool. I think that the Lord is echoing things humans did so that they can understand, right? He's not doing it to, to, to ratify something else, right? But the Lord speaks through what's familiar, right? Uh, but, but that's one of the like ways of addressing people is just the way that they would. <laughs> there you go um so they've been told the people are coming philip is like honestly 200 denarii won't be enough to pay for all these people keep in mind a day's wages in those days was a denarii so he's saying like two-thirds of a year's worth of money would still not be enough to pay for this food so what exactly do you want right and so the lord says by then they've arrived make him sit down so there's much grass in the place, that's something it's springtime, right um, And then Ben sat down, there's about 5,000, Jesus takes the looks and when he the, the, the loaves, not the looks, the loaves, and when he given thanks and what is the Greek word for giving thanks? Eucharist right And that's one of the reasons why we view this Eucharistically. because and when the Lord had Eucharisted right um, then he said it before them, they ate, had some left, according to the word of the Lord, which, um, sorry, he took those thanks, distributed them to those seated. so also the fish, as much as they wanted. So, this giving thanks may not have been, like, the word given here is, is given thanks. It might have been a prayer of blessing, um, because uh, during those days... Um, the Jews had a ritualistic prayer that they would say um, before. So it might be that he he said grace, essentially. Um, what's interesting here, though, is that in the other Gospels, the Lord gives the disciples to give to the people. In the Gospel of John, it looks like the Lord is himself also distributing, um, which is a really beautiful image, right, where he's down and dirty as well, um, at the feet serving the people himself. Um, I'm going to skip that long note because I started a little late. All right. Now, when they'd eaten their fill, he tells the disciples, gather up the fragments left over that nothing may be lost. And they gathered this up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Um, I like to draw the parallels. That's why I keep coming back to them of Judaism. Um, because the way that I'm trying to approach this book right now, because maybe we'll do it again in the future with a completely different lens Um, because there's just so many ways to interpret the Bible. I'm trying to go through this right now, not with the lens of dogmatic later interpretation, although we might meditate on that, but to understand it the way that the person living it would have understood it. Um, Because there's doctrines that we apply to it later when we interpret it, right? But a person living in it wouldn't have seen it that way, per se, right? And I think that that tells us a lot about God's pastoral nature too, right? When we see him really incarnate, like really living as his own would live and defying all of it. So um, what I'm saying that here is that it was customary at Jewish meals to collect what was left over, right? Um, and especially pieces of bread were not to be thrown away. And in one of the Jewish books that we talk about, the Bereshith, right? And their explanations and their canons and their rules, they have rules, you can't just throw things out. Right. So it's not weird that they're collecting it randomly. He's following a ritual. And why am I bothering to say that? Is because when you go see the Lord somewhere else combating ritual, at the same time you're seeing the Lord conform to ritual. Right. Which is why, like, if you wanna, if you wanna get into discussion about what Christ says and doesn't say, you got to take the whole picture because it's like, well, why here is he contesting and here not? Because what he often is challenging is meanings, goals, intentions not so much that there are customs, but what you're doing with them and why you're doing them. Um, there is some meditation on that. There was remaining 12 fragments being a sign of, again, the 12 tribes and Christ um, reinstituting the 12 tribes to the 12 apostles. So there may be something to this 12 number, who knows? But I really think there's something comforting about God speaking through the culture and the language of the people. Right? Because he uses what's normal to us to take us to what should be normal to us. Right? Because spirituality, right? Like that shouldn't be a weird thing to us. Right? But he uses what's normal, life in himself. Um, and God still works through that with us in our present days. Right. Like it's not like he only worked the normal when he was incarnate in the flesh in the first century. Right. And so I think that we don't always look for God in the normal. Um, like for me, I, I'm a nature boy, which is why I got excited, like by this chapter, right? And so, like, if you're paying attention, right? Like, I remember one time just chilling like at a lake up north in Ontario. right like it was like I was because they were taking my food but um but seeing them in a line right seeing what they carry and then being like man I'm huge to them right and then I'm like well where are they going they know where they're going right but like and so like there's a lot that you could see just in, in 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 looking at that and then seeing the microcosm of 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 them versus the macrocosm that I appear to be anyways you get my point but is that for all you know if that's where one of your languages are in your culture that may be a place where God will speak to you Right, where you'll, you'll get that eureka moment or you'll come um, through the normal. Um, for others, like it might be relational, it might be based on your interactions with people if you're a social person, but the question is, do you look for meaning, right? Or are you just reacting to and looking for God on in specific switches when you summon him for 30 seconds before you sleep, right? Um, Of being like, he didn't speak to me in those 30 seconds, dismissed Lord, right? But if you're looking for it in the normal, you may find more going on. Now, when the people see this sign, now we said that St. John's gospel doesn't use the word miracle, they use signs, right? And the meaning of the word sign is very similar to the way we use the word mystery today or sacrament, okay? Because the meaning of the word sign in the gospel of John is saying there's a visible action, that's pointing at an invisible actuality. I don't even want to say presence, right? That there's something that happened that we were able to see that signifies this whole realm of the world of is that we talked about, right? This interaction between God and man. And Saint John tends to only call signs the ones that result in some kind of belief. Because there's 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 miracles he did in this this gospel that John doesn't call a sign. He just he just recalls the event um which is an interesting thing so the people see this sign which it which she had done they get excited and like this is definitely the prophet here's the guy from deuteronomy who's to come into the world and so they're so excited that they decide that they're about to come and take him by force to make him king right that's their reaction the lord's reaction to them wanting to make him king even though he is king right is to leave right his solution is not to be like okay um the people demand it right for the sake of the people i'll be king right he, he gets up um and leaves um no, this is not random right to us today that's not how we would react right would be like he gave us food crown him king although we kind of do in other ways um but the messianic figure to them would be somebody who is able to give and care for the people right so this isn't random to them this is something that they're kind of expecting or hoping for um, and even one of their like even some of the rabbis um from the early ad years right so even from the like the Qumran community but there's a, a rabbi in the third century ad who even though jesus has already come um so he's not doing it to compare to jesus he he even makes the comment of just like Moses gave manna to people in the world, so will the Messiah when he comes feed them manna from heaven as well, right? So to them, they're like, okay, no, this really might be the guy, right? So it's 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 interesting. Now, what's interesting to me, Pastor Lee, is that it's because he gave them stuff that they want him to be king, right? When they got stuff, then he's a good guy, right? That's what made him good. Um just like Moses in the Old Testament, when he served the people and told them it was God's work that was sustaining them. They still wanted a king. Right. So the Lord is saying, hey, this is God. And like, that's nice. Be king. Right. Moses, same thing when they're like, oh, this is this is legit. Like, look at what the Lord is doing for you. And Samuel, the prophet, is like, look at what the Lord is doing. And they're like, we don't care. Give us a king to give us stuff. Right. Which I'm, I'm pointing out because I think we do that, too. Right. We're like, that's nice. Give us somebody we can relate to. Right. We want them to give us the stuff. If he wants to do it in your name, cool. But we want to deal with these people. Right. Just like, for example, when they're wandering in the wilderness, they were afraid of God. So like Moses, we don't want to talk to God. You talk to God on our behalf. Right. We're not we're not interested in that. Um, so to them, a leader is the one who gives them stuff. Now, keep in mind, in that first talk we had about the cultural concepts that govern like this, this community, food is the limited good and food is the main currency, not money, right? This is That we talked about the very first time. So it would be better to be poor monetarily and have access to food than to have access to money, but not to food. So for, for, for this miracle to happen, This is way more mind-blowing, I think, than we appreciate in the 21st century. Because us, it's like, yeah, they were hungry and God fed them. To them, it's like, our main issue is food. And not only did he have crazy, stupid access to food, it was food in such intense abundance that in spite of the thousands, we have left over, right? And so that to them is like, this is psychotic, right? We get excited if you go on Oprah or Ellen they're both canceled, um, and you get a car, you get a trip, or you get a house, right? And everybody wants to be on it because the currency for us is money, wealth, prosperity, right? All of those things. So this is more mind-blowing than Ellen and Oprah, right? For their time of being like, how does he do that? And like, we we need this guy. That's why they're like, no, make the guy king. He can pull money, like he can get food out of nowhere, literally. We don't need to fear the Romans. We don't interfere anything because we've got access right so this is they're viewing it in terms of the personal gain they're also viewing it politically like it's a really big moment for them it's not just oh that's so nice he fed us right like like where we're to someone's house and they barbecued right it's 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 of an epic um potential but let's look at like how fickle this is right this is like the equivalent to like going to ellen and getting a million bucks right but they're like give him give him to us as king But here's the catch and i think i really think we're like that i'm like that anyway people want things right we want stuff but we want them on our terms right we don't want what comes with it right so they want the food from the lord consequence free so who do you take free from stuff from? I'm asking you that to ask yourself that myself that where are things where we're willing to take. Right. And, and, and ask yourself if it's really free. Right. So for example, not to get political, but it's just the first example that comes to mind, right. Is that currently to get funding from the government for like a church camp, free money, you have to sign up to a certain way of thinking. Otherwise you can't access it right and so it's free but not right where it's like if you want to participate and i'm not saying that they're not allowed to ask that right but i'm just saying where are you doing that and not paying attention to what's being asked right because the lord is going to challenge them in a moment um he gave freely they're not happy with what he's going to explain when they talk to him about it and we'll we'll get to it go ahead peter Definitely, but I'm more impressed by the Lord's reaction to being made cake, Right, that His reaction is to leave. Um, He's not gonna feed pardon the pun the wrongness. Right, where He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna entertain that. Right, I'm not gonna be swayed by your emotionalism, your present emotionalism towards me. Right where you you think this of me, I'm not going to pretend that I'm okay with what's wrong, um, because no, I know who I am and what I'm here for, and it is not to establish a political rule, it is not to abolish Roman apartheid, right? I'm here to release you, but not in the way that you understand, because I am here to free you, just not in that way, um, and at the same time, he actually is king, right? Like, and he knows that. And yet he doesn't care what a king is supposed to be due, right? Like culturally, a king is due reverence, worship, honor, taxes, etc., cetera, right? But this is the freedom, since this gospel is all about this, this is the freedom that comes from truth, right? Is that the person who knows himself is not afraid of or troubled by or carried by Social expectations. Because they're grounded in what's real, what's true, what is. Right. A person who knows he's speaking the truth is able to weather storms of public outcry or scrutiny because they know the truth of their innocence. Right. Where like it might bother them on some level emotionally if they're imperfect emotionally. But they they will know that they're innocent and it's that and if you I've, i i listened to too much true crime podcasts right but so many interviews of people being wrongly convicted that spent decades in prison and they're asked how did you not go psycho so many of them their answer is because i knew it was not true that it was the only thing that kept them sane was that they knew they were not guilty right that was the only thing that protected them So a person knows when they're speaking the truth, a person who knows himself, who knows the truth and and knows that they're not motivated by something wrong will know how to withstand accusations of wrong because they know it's not true. Right. Like it's, it's that self-knowledge. It is so liberating, right. It's it's honestly one of the most powerful weapons is how you can be, Completely So So many people will be like, I'm so upset these people are saying this and this and this and this and this about me. Right. And to me, it's like it's a simple question. Is it true? No, then it's then you're good. Right. Let them talk. What is their talking going to do to you? Blah, 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 blah. Them saying it more loudly, whatever. Does it change whether it's true? It doesn't. So let them talk. You'll sleep at night. They they can do whatever they want. Right. And if they know it's a lie, it'll come back on them, right? A person who knows he is king doesn't need people to give him adulation to prove it. Right? A person who knows himself will not be moved either by insults or by praise. Right? Because in this scenario, it was the praise, right? Where God's like, No, I know myself and I don't need your praise, right? And in the negative as well. So when they're insulting him, which is most of the gospel. Right, he's also not affected by that either, right? And even in his responses to them, he's never responding to them about their 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 emotions about him, right? Even in those cases where he confronts, he'll point them at truth, but he won't be like, "I don't like how you're talking to me," right? Like he doesn't he doesn't ever do that. As Saint Anthony said, "He who knows himself knows God." So, verse sixteen: When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea boat and they start across the sea so i'm gonna i'm not gonna reread all of it because this is a long chapter and the big fight is coming up so it comes to evening the the story of the feeding is very short the disciples are like okay let's bounce those pictures that we had up on the board they're gonna go across the lake towards Capernaum, northeast part of that lake okay and they take off there was one boat and the lord hasn't gotten on on it with them so they are on the sea and a storm uh sorry a strong wind not a storm and this one was blowing and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were frightened. Now, this is a verse that I want to pay close attention to because it is so um, watered down in English um, to the power of this verse that he says. Because most translations, like when I'm using, say, fear not, it is I, it is I, do not fear, something to that effect. That is not what the Greek is saying. It, it, it is literally, but not right we talked about the great i am's the ego amy's of the gospel of john what the lord is actually saying to me he walks on their fate it says don't be afraid i'm i am that's what he's saying which is i i i get goosebumps every time right is that he's he's saying why are you afraid i'm god right and this is a huge declaration this is a, a bold declaration right? It's not like, oh, it's me, don't worry, because they thought it was going to be someone they didn't know, right? It's like, I am God, right? And that's why I come to you walking on water. I'm sovereign over nature. I've submitted myself to nature. I've submitted myself to humanity for you. So don't be afraid. I get it. I'm in it. And I am, right? And so this is a very powerful thing to think about in anything, right? That you're going through, right? Is that recognition of why are you afraid? He is, I am, right? And that he is sovereign over any possible issue or problem you could possibly have, whether it's a great storm, tribulation, personal problem, personal conflicts, right? Personal struggle, whatever it is, he is, I am. And because of who he is, That is why we ought not to be afraid, right? And that's why there's so many verses saying, if God is with us, who shall we fear, right? What is there to fear if we have the great I am um, with us? And then something interesting happens as though to like show like I'm above this, not in the condescending way. It doesn't even say he got in the boat, right? They were glad they wanted to take him into the boat. But it says but immediately it was where they went it's not actually clear from the greek wording if he even got in it in the same way i'm skipping around 15 14 15 chapters um that thomas we don't know if he actually touches christ like christ says go ahead touch me but the the, the chapter doesn't say that he did right and the only reason i'm even like commenting or or posting on there is because this might be a thing going on in john it may be right in the sense of the, the the jesus of the gospel of john doesn't fit into things right he nothing he doesn't go into things he fills himself he fills all things so he doesn't get into things right so there's this image of like he's he's not this object I know I won't spend a long time on it because it's a bit philosophical. Um, I was gonna pause here to say, this kind of thing can still happen. Um, my brother can vouch for this and, and my cousin, one of my cousins that's in the States right now. Um, we were on a trip in Egypt when I was like late teens, um, where our car kept breaking down. My cousin's car was ridiculous. And like, we would stop every 100 meters to fill water into the, like, the, the, the front. Um, and it would keep shutting down, shutting down, shutting down. Um, and we are going to visit St. John's Monastery um, called Patmos in uh, Ramadan. Um, and um, we found this old man, because we had run out of water, just randomly that had a jerry can, which is what jerry can apparently is, um, like yay big, um, filled our car. And we drive away and within a minute, we were at our destination. My cousin started freaking out because he was like, there's supposed to be an hour. Um, I didn't know. Like, I don't live there. So I, I had no idea what to compare to. So he took us the next day and drove us there to prove it so that he'd be like, "I no, I'm not psycho. Um, and so we drove and we went to the very gate because there was a specific place that it was at. Um, and so it's interesting to see that. Like, and none of us were expecting that, right? But that there's these... These things that give us these windows, if you will, into um, this world. So he put water in. The guy had this randomly had a jerry can, right? Put in some water um, because we were wondering how are we going to get back because we'd run out and we couldn't keep doing it. So we had already run out and by the grace of God, there's this military outpost, that's why we knew where we were, where there's this really old man randomly sitting by himself that didn't even look military, right, we were suspicious even about who he actually is. Um, And so he put in some water, right, and so we were happy, but we're like, okay, this might carry us for another 10 minutes, right, but then we're going to need to make plans, but instead, within a minute, we arrived at my cousin's house. Yeah. It's supposed to be an hour. So we, the next day, we drove it again to, to make sure that we weren't imagining. We drove where we met up with the guy. Yeah. Now, here's where the controversy starts. It's verse 22. Okay? Now, these people have been guests on Oprah, right? They got their free car, and they liked it, right? And so they're like, we need to find this Jesus guy because he's a big deal. We want him to be king. So on the next day, the people who had remained on the other side of the sea and saw that there had been only one boat there. So all they're trying to establish here is that, like, Jesus had gone, not with the apostles. That's all that they're actually trying to to establish. Um, These other boats that went from Tiberias with these people, they had assumed that the Lord had stayed because they saw the boat, as I believe, not the Lord. So they had been waiting but they're like, where is Jesus? He's not here. So they take their boats. They cross the other side. Others are going to take the long way, right? And then they go to meet up with Jesus. Um, and so they, they need something to say. That's why they're what they're establishing here. So they meet up with Jesus and say, like, hey, where, where, where'd where you go? Right? We didn't see you leave yesterday. Right? What happened? Right? And so they're, they're looking for their intro. And the Lord cuts right through the nonsense. Right? And he says... Um, they're like, Rabbi, how did you get that here? And he goes, it's, um, you're not here because you saw signs, right? You're not here because you saw the work of God, signs in the, the Johannine way, right? You're here because you got free food, right? Um, um So you're not here because of the signs. You're here because you ate. Um, And so he's actually doing something with them similar to what we're seeing from the Gospel of John that he did with Nicodemus. um, Similar to what he did with um, the Samaritan woman, where he's allowing them to enter in conversation. But what we're going to see differently than Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman is that this one goes really self. Right. So Nicodemus leaves. We don't know whether he's convinced or not, but it's not contentious samaritan woman leaves really excited really happy brings a village to him these people are going to leave being like kill him he's stupid okay but um but the lord is giving them still that opportunity for dialogue he's starting the q a kind of thing that he had going in john three and four right so he's saying let's be real okay you're you're not here because you saw the work of god you're here because you got free food i get it but you know it would be better not to work for the food of becoming right and instead to work, look for the food that is the real food that whole column, we keep talking back about fake food temporal food versus this actually you know it's really cool here if you want to really nerd out is that the greek for what the question they asked of our lord the english says how did you how, how did you come here the greek says how is it that you became here um And so it's actually so fitting, right? Because it's, they're so focused on this mortality issue, right? They only like worldly material stuff, the stuff of the world of becoming that we talked about in the first lecture. Um, And so he says, instead, you you should labor for the food that lasts to eternity, right? The food of the world that is, not the world of becoming. And they're interested, right? Like, tell us, tell us what can we do? But they're still thinking secularly, right? They're like, there's food that lasts that long? Hook us up, right? Tell us how we can get it. Just like the Samaritan woman, right? When she's like, there's water that doesn't go out. Yeah, no, no, I'll take it, right? Then I don't have to come to this well anymore, right? And so they're saying the same thing, give it to us, right? And I love how entitled they are, right? We're like that too. If you know it, tell us we ought to have it. Right? Then it feels almost like a, like it's a duty. And the Lord answers in something so strange to them because he says, This is the work of God. Uh, sorry. I, I, I skipped something he said that's important. He says, Don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him has God the Father set his seal. Then they say, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answers them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So there's a misunderstanding. And this, this, this discourse is a little bit wordy. Okay, so we'll go through it. Now, they seem to be misunderstanding Jesus' words in verse 27, when he says to work not for food that spoils, but instead for food that endures eternal life. So what the Lord meant was you should have a pursuit, right? Of um, that's more proper. They seem to have interpreted it as, "I want you to do God's works." Now, to you, that might not even mean anything, right? To them, they viewed God as having stuff that God does. And humans do stuff that humans do. Human works of righteousness. They're pure. They go to temple. They wash themselves. They pray, right? They, that's what their thing is so like, oh, wait, so you want us to do like God stuff? So how do you do God stuff? That's their, their response. So they're confused, right? And so to them, those are the works of the law, which is very interesting because most people make the debate about faith versus works a St. Paul versus St. James thing, right? But it's actually happening right here. the gospel because the lord's response is to have belief right which is a work in and of itself we'll talk about that um and he and, and the lord's response is no what you need to do if you want to do god's work is believe me to faith me verb right to know me to trust me to to believe um Sorry. So they're not seeing past that argument. I'm gonna come back to that because my, my my brain is in multiple places right now. Um and I wanna emphasize that the Lord is saying that the gifts are distributed of God through me. Right? He's making a a, a, a very big claim there right? He's saying your access to is me, Um, which is why we also say there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the one uh, mediator, which is Jesus Christ, right? Um, Which from from a, a traditional church perspective is also why all of our sacraments are rooted in Christ incarnate, all of them, right? Marriage is, priesthood is, right? Unction of the sick is, Right, and that it's also that the spirit is given to us even, which is a gift of the Father through the Son. Right, so even the grace of the Spirit. Right, which which Christ is going to make a reference to very shortly, and it'll all come together. And so the crowd has been led by the Lord. He's saying, "Can you please just go beyond the superficial, right? Just for a second, get past this food business, right?" But their reaction is, "Okay, well, it's not food. Like, tell us what to do, right? Like, this is all we know." Um, And so the Lord puts an emphasis on faith, which I think is not emphasized enough today, personally, even though we talk about it a lot. Um, Because he's saying something is going to happen and we're going to see that when you believe me. Right. It's not about stupidity. Right. Today, faith tends to mean your ability to accept that which is irrational, which is horrible. Right. That's not what faith is right and so he's saying i need you to believe me right and 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 if you're seeing these signs are you not able to have something right Which he's going to contest in a second so they answer and this is where it gets really bizarre you think they'd be happy right so they're like where were you we missed you we love you and he's like let's be real you want food right so how about you work for something else okay what do you want what do i want i want you to believe me and then what's the response they get hostile you know I actually think it means way more than that. And I don't think it's an accident that it happened when they wanted to make him king. Because the king's seal is a sign of the king. Right? So I think in one sense, it's also his declaration of his own kingship. Um, It's also the seal of the spirit, but it's also the seal of the message, the message and the messenger. Right? Like with that whole thing, that the messenger is the same as the the one sending, right? So I think it has a whole plethora of meaning. So in 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 the Jewish world, in the Greco-Roman world, when somebody sends a messenger, you treat the messenger as you would the one sending the message. You didn't differentiate. So if a king sent a messenger, you treat the messenger as the king. He is the image of the king because you can't access the king directly. And the seal that this king sends with the, the messenger's the message Giver, giver to the messenger is the sign of the person himself. So now they get testy and they say, You want us to believe you? Well, tell us what sign will you do that we can see and believe you? We're not just going to believe you. What are you going to do so that we can believe you? What work do you perform? This is so ironic, right? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness um as it is written he gave them bread to eat right where it t- shows you the lord's long suffering where you're gonna be like yeah what did i just do right literally right like this is exactly what i just did so it's actually ridiculous that they've already forgotten this miracle right and they're already being like prove it to us it's like ah, okay <laughs> right like, like it shows you how like i would have blown personally um But here's the thing. They're now arguing with their perspective as the basis, right? So the Jews are demanding further proof, right? They're saying, if you are going to be this this guy you claim to be, we need signs. Um, If he's a prophet like Moses, then you need to do the signs because Moses could do um, signs. Um, How often do we get into arguments where we start to argue a position? or against a position based on our own understanding, right? And without pausing even for a moment to ask if our understanding is right, right? We're, we're, we're that generation that doesn't care, right? They're already arguing because they just missed the obvious, right? If they had paused just for a moment, they might even at least rephrase the question, right? Because he did just literally do the exact same sign. Right. Literally. Um, the very thing they demanded has just happened. Right. It reminds me once of like a conversation with an atheist who was arguing against the existence of ad- objective meaning without recognizing that the whole premise of his argument was based on a belief in objective meaning. Right. And so it was like, I, how are we going to get anywhere? If you pause just for a second, you'll realize the irony of what you're saying. Right. Like, like, like take a different route right like no problem to have the discussion just pause right think about it now the end of this argumentation is that in spite of what's true being true Jesus is who he is regardless of how they feel about him he really did a miracle and sign and by the end of this chapter they will have left him right There are a lot of people who say, if only Jesus would do X, if only God would do Y, if only I saw these things in my life, I would believe. And it's like, no, he can literally multiply food in front of you and you could still get angry within five minutes, or in this case, about a day, right? Where if you think that it's because if you receive what you want, no, these people don't care. They want what they want and they want him to conform to what their expectations are. They want him to conform like we were going to make you king, but king on our terms, king with our agenda. So we can make you the leader of our political party if you can sign up to party policy. If not, you're not welcome here, even if you've got something going for you, right? You can have something mind-blowing happen in front of you and still completely walk away, right? So for those of us who think if I only saw the supernatural right in front of me, I believe better, I doubt it personally i doubt it um faith when seen as trust or belief is something they were offering right they originally offered it naturally we miss that too when the lord was offering food they just took it Right? They just took on faith that they could take from him and that there was no catch. They only had a problem when they were asked about their belief. Because up to this point, they were fine. Right? No one is mad at the Lord. They were mad when he said, What I need from you is to believe me. And like, no, we don't. Now we take issue. Right? Suddenly there's this existential crisis. If they didn't trust him, they wouldn't have eaten his food. Once he mentions trust, game over. And I'm pointing that out to real, so that we can realize, that I think we, we view faith as such a personal thing that we don't realize how offensive our lack of faith may actually be. Right? Put yourself in the Lord's shoes right now, not even as God. Right? But that I just gave you free food and you took it from me. And the minute when I ask you to just trust me, you turn on me. That's offensive, right? And so it's, it's a statement, right? And so that's what I'm saying. Our faith, we view it as like, well, it's just I I would love to trust, but we don't realize that my lack of faith might actually be offensive, right? It might be a sign of my lack of consideration um, for something other than myself. So Jesus says to them, Amen, Amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Okay. the manna in the wilderness was not from Moses. It was my father, right? My father gave you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Big moment about to come, right? He's saying, no, the bread is not from Moses. The bread is from God. And the reason why God gives bread from heaven is specifically because he wants to give real life. What are they thinking? Secular life, mortal life, the life that will be coming. And they say to him again, give us this bread always. Yeah, which he explicitly says elsewhere in this gospel, 100%. Now, note how often, before I move on, how often we confuse God's work for others when it's not direct. Right, like they're like, no, it was Moses, like, no, it wasn't Moses, it was God, right? And instead of seeing God as provider, Moses became provider, right? Whereas the source of richness is the rich one, right? I was, um, having I was meditating a little bit more on the saint issue, um, because I was talking to someone from another denomination, starting with the saint issue, um, and about this concept of talking to saints, right? And asking for saints. And I noticed that a lot of Orthodox, we feel uncomfortable to say praying to saints so we are quick to correct it, right? And be like, well, when I say to what I really mean is, and I'm like, you know what, actually, no, I, I am praying to them, right? And you know what? Sometimes I am asking St. Mary to do something. And sometimes I am actually asking St. Pope Carlos or St. Nina, but in asking them, I know that I'm asking God, not just because of their relationship, because when I understand that the source of all grace is God, now if I go to my uncle, who I know gets his salary from my dad, and say, hey, can you spot me? I don't have enough money for dinner. I know who really gave the money. Because the source of money is not my uncle himself. My uncle is also getting it from my dad. Right? And so if it's understood in that context, everything, the source of everything is always God and everyone else's family, right? But that even if I'm interacting with family, I have to recognize the source, right? That my relationship with uncle is not ever the same or in replacement of my relationship with dad. I have a specific relationship with dad and I have a different relationship with uncle, right? And so this is what can happen, right? They thought it was Moses. That's why they're all excited about Moses. And he's like, no, it's not. Um, But even now when he's explaining to them, They still think they get it because they're in their own worldview, and they don't. They're still talking about fake bread, right? Mortal bread, temporal bread, dead bread, and they still want it. And he is wanting to give them the real bread, right? So what he's actually doing is saying, you guys are excited because you're thinking about this eschatology, this world to come, right? You're waiting for the Messiah to free you, to liberate you, right? To have this new Zion, right? And, and, and you're citing this manna given to you from Moses that it's going to happen again. And he's saying, guys, it's happening right now, right? What you're anticipating is occurring, right? The kingdom of heaven is here, right? And they're not, they're not making that link. Um, you didn't understand, your ancestors didn't understand, and he's going to go into it. Um, that man doesn't live by bread alone right? That man lives by whatever comes to the mouth of the Lord. Now, here's what's interesting, what he's about to get into, where he's going to now make the bread himself, wisdom, the word of God, wasn't completely foreign to Jewish scripture or thought, right? They have psalms, they have verses, I'm not going to listen right now because I I don't, I've already gone for a while, right? But they get into um, interpretations of what it means to live as manna and that it is the wisdom of god even uh one of the famous jewish philosopher theologians philo of alexandria refers to the manna as wisdom right and so and he's not someone who converts right so um, in other words what i'm trying to get at is there was a kind of preparation even prophetically for what christ is saying Right, that those who would know their own scripture well would have been able to dig a little deeper and realize that what Christ was saying wasn't actually completely foreign right, to Jewish theology so then Jesus goes out and says it now, these are some of the great I am's ego imi, okay, just to pause again I think we talked about it before when the Lord is asked what is your name right, in when Moses says, who are you when I tell the people God names himself and says and it's got various like translations of I am, right? Or I am that I am, I'm one who is, right? I, I, I prefer, even though it's a made up grammar, I be ing, right? Or I is ing. Um, where he's saying, where God's answer is, I just am existence. Don't worry about a name. Right, I am that which is that's what we're actually saying in literature. We say the being, right? It should be b ing, right? Because being sounds like creature, right? But what it actually is, I'm the one who's always is ing, always, right? I always am in the state of be, you're in the world of becoming, I be, right? And so the Jews, out of reverence for that name, would never say it, right? So no one could say Yahweh, which is what it is. Okay. Um, and the ego emi in Greek is the word used in Greek for that word Jehovah, for Yahweh, right? So in English, you're not seeing that because there's a construct of Greek where you can say, I am without saying that. But in these cases, it's explicitly saying that, right? It's not like we are taking the English and making him say the name of God, right? It's that the Greek is actually saying that, right? And so the construct that he's saying in verse 35 is he's saying, I, me, who is, I am, is the bread of life. He's saying, I am, you could almost put an is in the middle. I am is the bread of life, which is, and, and, and keep it in the context of pointing at himself, which is me, right? It's, 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 there's a reason why in the garden where they all fall to their knees, It's because he says the name, right? Um, And he who comes to me, because they've just said, give it to us, we want it, so that we're never hungry again. He's like, okay, it's me. It's I am. God is the bread of life, which is me. And he who eats of me will never be hungry, and who believes me will never thirst. Comes to me, believes me, they're the same thing, right? It's the one who enters into me, who sees me, who hears me, who knows me, who identifies me, right? Right? They're parallels, um, which is really reminiscent of the wisdom of Sirach. There's a lot in this chapter that that, that can be echoed in Sirach, but I won't spend too much on it because in Sirach he talks about wisdom, and 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 Jesus of Sirach says, "He who eats of me, wisdom, will hunger still. He who drinks of me will thirst for more." Which sounds like a contradiction because the Lord who is wisdom is saying the opposite, but they're actually saying the exact same thing. He's saying, "I'm infinite." right if you come to me you will never run out there will always be more um and so he's 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 pulling these together um and there's a bunch of other verses like isaiah there's times i just won't go into it but i'm saying that's that's what it is but you've seen me and you don't believe me right so that's who i am but you don't believe me and everything that the father gives me will come to me but him to whom come. But him who comes to me, I will not cast out. So, if you choose to believe me, I'm not kicking you out, but you guys don't believe me. And it's because I've come from heaven. Go ahead, Mark. Not necessarily, right? In the same way we call Satan a Satan, right? Which means my Lord. Um, and we have no confusion there. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of Lords. Um, so, I've come from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And let me tell you what his will is. The will of him who sent me, the messenger thing, right? Is that I should lose nothing of what he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of of the father, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I'll raise him up at the last day. Saying it's so simple. If you believe me, I give you life because Mm -hmm. I am his life, right? In the last chapter we read, where he says that he has life of himself, right? He says, I give you of myself life. And that was a, a God claim, right? So he's saying, I can do that so that if you enter into me, you won't die. You'll have eternal life and I will raise you up in the same way that we'll see that he does himself, right? If he's doing God's work, he's a messenger thing again, then he, if he's doing God's work, It is understood theologically by the Jews that you're claiming to be God because only God is supposed to do God's work, right? In their theology. Um, And it will be what he's going to do. Now, the grumbling is going to continue just like the grumbling Israelites in the Old Testament. Now they're going to grumble back. The Jews then murmured, right? Which is the same word used for the Israelites in the desert, right? Where God has literally rained food on them. And they're like, you brought us here to kill us, right? And he's like, what's wrong with you people? Anyway, um, and they murdered him because he said, I am is the bread which came down from heaven. And they again they're so stuck in their worldview. So the response is, Isn't this the dude, the guy, the son of Joseph, the carpenter that we know? What is he on? Right? What is his claim of, 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 of he comes from the Father? Right? This is this is complete nonsense. How can he say I've come down from heaven? Jesus knowing, like doing another miracle in front of them right? Because you're not saying it to him, is knowing what they're saying and saying it to them, right? Which should have been another moment of like, oh shoot, he knows what he couldn't know, right? He says to them, don't murmur, okay? Don't murmur among yourselves um, that no one, in, about what you're saying, no one can come to me unless the Father sent me John, now is about last day, because, so he's arguing again in their language, he's even still trying to help them. He's like, let me point at scripture for you, right? So you don't have to believe just me. Like you're mumbling because I said this? Well, doesn't the prophet say, and they shall all be taught by God, right? And he's quoting um, Old Testament. Um, I have a bunch of references because there's many that said that. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Um, And so the Lord has made a distinction that I don't think that they understand. And I think that we don't appreciate sometimes because he's saying that those who will come to me are the ones whom God draws, Right? Because there's a willingness that has to, to be there. I'm not going to spend a long time on that right now because there's still a little bit left. Um, but again, he's pointing at this contrast of, do you want real? Do you want what's real? Because if you want what's real, I'll give it, but if you don't, no problem. Um, we're almost done, guys. I'm so sorry. We did start late. Um, I'm not going to read all the references, but these things that he's quoting, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, right? There's tons of places where this is, this is being said. Um, so the Jews are getting what he's saying, okay? They're understanding this claim, they're understanding the God claims, they're understanding, we're saying they're just not happy. And their response is, no, it doesn't come from God, right? That's their, their verdict. Um, he comes from Joseph, we know that, right? That's their, their. notice the arrogance of the situation, like, they just witnessed a miracle, they saw food come out of nowhere, right? Yet they think, in spite of this incomprehensible event, that they can't understand or fathom or reproduce themselves, that they get, spiritually, what's really going on here, right? That's, that's their starting reference point. And that they understand God more than the person who just did these things right it's 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 mind-blowing and i really think we do this all the time right he multiplied food walked on water but somehow he's the moron right where it's like i love to see you do that right before you like before you decide that he doesn't understand spirituality like go walk on water for a bit and come back right and they they know it but they're they're not there but the question is how often do we do this right it's easy to point at at these people but how often do we think our parents are dumb for things that they're not actually dumb about Right. How often do we consider ourselves expert, even in front of real experts? Right. Where we'll still interject and be like, you know, I just think. Right. And we and we're looking for for the person to affirm. And if they don't, we wait till they're gone and be like, I don't think he got me because there's no way I could be wrong. Right. We don't say that, but that's what we're actually saying. Right. So we'll have to re-justify whatever it is that we're saying. Um, How often do do we, having barely touched our Bibles, Reject an interpretation of the Bible that we don't like, right? And be like, oh, it must not mean that because I don't agree with that. And obviously I should agree with it because I should be right, right? As opposed to it being right and me conforming, right? Um, And we might even reject someone else's interpretation who is actually an expert, again, because it disagrees with us. How often do we participate in public debate or commentary vilifying people or mocking people as though we have expertise or right to do such a thing this is the age i think in which we live in wherever where that's the norm right and that's going we have to guard ourselves from like as christians right you may be shocked or realize that you are doing this to god very frequently in the exact same way as the people in this scenario Right? Like it's easy to be like what moron, but I really think we do this all the time. Um, as we just read, they're grumbling, Jesus addresses their mumbling, and he said, I'm thought, I'm fulfilling a prophecy. Okay, I'm just just saying, but he takes it further, but I'm not just like the prophets, right? I'm using the prophets to make my case, but I'm not just a prophet. 46. Not that anyone has seen the father except him who is from God. He's like making he's taking it further. I'm the only one who's seen God and he who believes has eternal life because of who I am. I am is the bread of life. Let me restate it unequivocally. I am the source of all life, right? I am the word from John one by whom all things were created, right? It is the speaking, it is the speech. That is the reason why things are alive. I am that bread. He who eats of me lives because I am is life, which he will also say, Further on in this gospel, those exact words again. Um, Your fathers, if you're so hung up on this manna that you're obsessed about, well, let me tell you something. Your fathers, this bread that Moses brought down, which was really from my father, they ate it and they're all dead now. So that bread is the bread of becoming. I am the bread of life. He who eats with me lives eternally right? He's like, and I'm not ashamed of what I'm saying. It's the truth. This pointing at himself, this is the bread of life, which comes down from heaven that any man who eats of it will not die. I am is the living bread, the bread of is ing, being right. The ego, Amy bread, which came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give for the life of the world takes it further. Let me tell you what it is. It's this flesh. It's this, the Logos incarnate, that I being God have flesh, and it is this flesh that becomes life-giving. And he uses the word sarx here, not soma, not body, right? This flesh. This is escalating, okay? Um, Because of time, I'm not going to emphasize the debate that's going on here. Now, the Jews have started the debate by saying he could be the Messiah. He could be the fulfillment of the prophecies, And when the Lord is agreeing, they themselves have thought that. And when the Lord is agreeing and saying, yes, he is, suddenly they don't like him. Even though that was their original premise. Right. And suddenly they've turned. And if they knew their own traditions, it wouldn't have shocked them. A lot of the prophecies are not going to get into because they already had some of that language in there. It's them that are monumentally ignorant. Right. And they're still upset and, 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 and enraged philo has a bunch of stuff again there's a bunch of other jewish thought about this but again i'm not gonna um i'm not gonna get into it so we can wrap up soon the jews then disputed among themselves now they're they're not even talking to him they're arguing among themselves saying how is he going to give us his body to eat what does he mean like are we gonna be cannibals right he's gonna die and we're gonna like literally eat his flesh like what, what what is this and jesus says to them amen amen truly truly i say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you do not have life in you actually martin luther founder of the protestant tradition when debates about eucharist happened in his own time he apparently responded with one thing because he believed in eucharist he took this verse and held it up every time that they were in their synod meetings and that was it he would hold up this this verse he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has a eternal life, and I will raise him at the last day. For my flesh, he's like no, 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 I'm not, I'm not backing off of this strong statement. My flesh is really food. My blood is really drink. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, the one who's actually alive, and I live because of the Father. So he who eats me will live because of me. I am still the source of life. This is the bread which came down from heaven, that as your father's aid and died, he who eats his bread live forever. He said this in the synagogue at Capernaum. Right? So I'm saying this fight has been going on this whole way. Now, while this is used Eucharistically, I'm not going to get into some of this right now. Um, like I said, this is now meaning Eucharist and not just Eucharist. I want us to go beyond that. I'm not going to have a, a full out talk right now on Eucharist, although that would be nice. Um, it's important sacramentally. But the Eucharistic tones, um, while clear, I don't think anybody could argue that they're not there um, successfully anyway. But the Lord is meaning something more here than just Eucharist that I want to go on. Because we've talked about Eucharist in other places, and we can do that another time. He's also talking about living Eucharistically. Because he's saying, I am living, and you have to eat me. You have to be me. So then that begs the question, well, what is you? Who is you? And he's like, well, me is giving his life out for the world. And to him, in the Gospel of John, the moment, the hour of glory, is the raising up on the cross. So to live Eucharistically literally means to die. And that's why he's saying, and if you die, this flesh dies, then you have eternal life. And he's saying, so anyone who follows me to live Eucharistically is a someone who does not live for himself. It's somebody who is constantly emptying him or herself for the life of the world. Right. Even as, as Christ, as we say in the institution narrative. Right. Um, so in the Gospel of John, that means dying. Right. It means love. Right. It means self-denial. Love is not emotion. Love, is, love is, 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 is a giving of will. Love is the choosing and the choosing of the non-self. He's saying to be living Eucharistically means to choose others before self in all things. It means self emptying for others. It means you becoming small and others becoming big. It means letting people accuse you and say all manner of evil against you because you're not there or here for your getting bigger or for you becoming king, right? Which he's just been rejecting. But for you to serve the people, the people who you know are about to come and yell and scream at you To still say, feed them and think about them before they come, even though you know what they're going to say about you, right? To still be incarnate, knowing they're going to murder you. To still still heal them when you know that the guy you healed is going to say, crucify him. Or the guy you heal, like the last chapter, is going to go rat you out to the authorities. I was saying, if you are living as I live, none of that will get to you. Because you know why you live, you know what the source of life is. If you want life in the world that is of the becoming, then choose that, right? But that's not living Eucharistically. You are here to serve the people, feed the people. It's the washing of the feet that he does the night before his slaughter, right? That in his last moments, he's saying, I still serve you. And then he says to them, and if you want to serve like I do, then do what I'm doing. Be at each other's feet and wash it. This is Christian Eucharistic living. It's hard. It's very, very hard. It's praying for the people who are killing you while they are killing you. Right? That he can be on the cross in the moment of his glory and saying, forgive them, they don't get it. And meaning it. Right? He's not throwing in a good word. He means it. Right? This all points at Genesis, which is what the book of John is. Right? It's called in the beginning. That's the first line. Jesus is saying I am is who you are supposed to be because when I made you I made you in my image and likeness and these attributes these characteristics that I am is also you and I'm here to teach you how to be you again right I'm restoring you to your dignity I'm not changing you to something you weren't I'm restoring you right I'm bringing you back to your Origins to your Genesis, be flesh and blood as I am, is right? Open your eyes and heart to who I am, is and be that because you are called to be that, right? We are being taught by God, as the Lord just said, right? It comes full circle of saying, You will all be taught by God. That's exactly what I'm doing, guys, as the Lord, right? This is what the Lord is saying. But will we heed the instruction? Will you murmur or will you respond as the apostles are about to respond? Because it then says, many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, This is a hard saying. And who can listen to this? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured again supernaturally, said, Do you take offense at this? Are you bothered by this? When they say difficult, they're saying this is this is tough. They're not saying it's difficult to understand, they're saying, Oh, this is a tough pill to swallow, right? And so he looks at them and says, Does it offend you? If it offends you, well, let me ask you a question. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? You're offended that I'm saying I am from the Father. What happens when you see it? He's referring to the the Ascension, the Feast of the Ascension. Because there will be proof of what I'm saying. You're going to witness it yourselves. And they did. Right? They saw him go up. It is the Spirit that gives life. The Holy Spirit, which also comes after Ascension. The flesh is of no avail right? This, this physical flesh body is, it does nothing. The words that I'm speaking to you, they are spirit and life. I won't, I won't dwell on it. Um, I'm going to skip some of the section. They still find it hard to accept. It is what it is. Um, but the Lord is saying the proof will be and later in this gospel he'll say because then I can send you the promise, the earnest of the spirit. Right? And that's why it's tied to the Feast of the Ascension. Um, nobody comes to the Son unless they hear the Father. That's the role of the heart. And so when the Lord says, Do you take offense? Do you want to go? And Peter responds saying something beautiful. And Peter's not really that heroic in the Gospel of John, um, he's more heroic in the Synoptics. But here's like a small shout out to Peter um, because Peter answers with something very moving. Right where Peter says, Where would we go? You have the words of life. You are the Holy One of God. And the Holy One of God isn't an accidental term, that's a title of God. Right. And so Peter is getting it's almost like this chapter to me is like this beginning of the peeling of the veil and the gospel of John, right? Where where The secrets of the world that is are starting to come flooding out. And there's this mixing happening where the world of life is being glimpsed as the sun is dying more. It's this weird thing that's happening. Right. And Peter, it's like he he looked through the keyhole and he's like, oh, you're God. Right. Because it's clear he doesn't fully get it because he's going to deny him in just a few chapters. Right. But there's these glimpses that they're that they're seeing um and the lord responds saying um oh so peter hasn't said that yet my bad um so a bunch of the these disciples leave right so these are not the 12 and so this is a turning point right where this is a point in his ministry where people who were loyal were like nope right this guy is psycho and so they get up they take their bags and leave because keep in mind discipleship in that period greek Hellenistic." as well as in there, is you live with your teacher, right? So Plato, Aristotle, these guys, they'd have dudes following them around, living with them, because it would mean literally to be fully immersed in your discipleship, right? Like the disciples in the Gospel of John could alternately be called learners, if you will. Um, and so a bunch of people walk up and leave, and the Lord is unabashed about the truth. He doesn't water it down. He's like, then you'll understand after, let me make this easy. No, he's like, no, this is what it is. If you don't like it, go. And that's when he looks at the 12 after the bunch leave. He goes, Do you want to leave too? Right. And he wasn't saying antagonistically. He's like, Not changing what I'm saying. Do you want to go? And that's when Peter says, Go where? Right. This is the words of life. And the Lord, the Lord isn't like, Ah, yeah. Right. You guys are so awesome. And he was like, Yeah. Well, actually, to be honest with you, even among you, there are some that don't believe because isn't one of you from the 12 that I chose a double? And it says, and he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for one of the twelve um, was to betray him, right? And it's interesting that there's this immediate contrast between Peter and Judas, right? Like the one who sees and the one who doesn't. Um, that's the end of that chapter. There's some concepts to think about um, from this chapter just as, as, as for your own meditation. One is that concept of faith, right? John's gospel is constantly asking the question of, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? Right? It's always the question. Do you trust me? Do you see me? Do you hear me? Right? Those are the questions. Because I don't know if we ask ourselves that enough. Like, again, we think that faith is just like an acceptance. But faith isn't just an acceptance. It's saying, I trust you. I get you. I hear you. I see you right? And it's what gives me confidence when I don't understand, right? It's not a demand to understand or to fake understand. It's a consequence, right? It's much bigger than the way we talk about it, right? Do you trust it enough that you would choose, love it, right? When this saying is difficult, right? When they say this is a difficult saying, so we don't believe you, right? Because Ask yourself where you draw that line because I think we draw those lines, right? We're like, no, I believe, I believe. But then once there's like a social issue that we're not sure to stand on, I don't know if I accept that, right? Then the question is, well, then do you you believe, right? So the Jews are like, we trust you and you're giving us free food, but not when you say you are God. But the real question is, well, is he God? Not how do you feel about him being God? Is he? Because if he is, your choice to not believe is actually a stupid choice right it's not a preferential choice it's actually stupid because you're going against facts right and he's saying i'm not mad at you when you don't trust me elsewhere in the gospels i get that you might not there's some place where he even says i get it i'm galilean to you i have an accent i get it right like he's not like he doesn't understand that right but, but that's why he pulls and he's gonna do it again in these next chapters we're gonna tackle seven through ten he's like let me bring you witnesses so that you don't have to take my word for it, right? Let me point at what's pointing at this, but do we draw lines when it comes to belief? Because it's not a decision. It's not an insight, even though it involves those. In a way, it's seeing. That's how one believes. And so it's like those, it's, it's like those images in the newspaper where it's like, which one do you see? The old woman or like the, the animal, right? Depending on where your eyes, are. it's like that, right? Of am like, what are, when you're looking at what are you seeing, right? And if you sit long enough, you may be able to see both images. You may be able to break through and see it. But if you only do the superficial, take a glance and you decide what you see and that's all it is, then you're just gonna be stuck there. That's all it will ever be. You don't decide when you're looking at that picture to see it. You just see it. That's why I think people of faith have difficulty articulating their faith, right? To those who don't have it. Because everyone wants it to be academic, of being like, well, let me draw it as a chart for you. And if you look at cell C3, you can like, see, like no. Or it's like, but. But you'll be able to see it. It's Holy Week all over. decision to sit with it is what may help you see right the samaritan woman did it made her bring the whole village right nicodemus eventually does he becomes a bishop these people don't right these people don't and do we eat of i am do we eat of the truth not just in the physical act of eucharist but if you are of truth son of truth, daughter of truth, you need to live, eat, breathe truth for you to live. Real things remain real, right? And that has to be the source of our our food. If someone drinks the Lord's mortality, right? Becoming as he did, then the natural road is Golgotha and that becomes your source of life. That's why there isn't a Christianity without a cross and there is no resurrection without a cross and there is no life without a crucifixion. And the crucifixion isn't the result of the choosing of it, it's the the choosing of others and the others choose to kill you, right? Christ didn't come and say, hey guys, kill me. Christ came knowing he'd be killed, right? It's the natural way of the cross. Um, But your liberation from the world of becoming is the resurrection, which is him. I am is the resurrection. And I am is is the life. This chapter is a turning point. Okay, He's laid all the cards out on the table. He's making bold claims. He's claiming he's life-giving. He's calling himself God. The Jews and you may find yourselves in the same place asking, who are you? Who are you? Right? And he keeps answering consistently of who he is. He's not hiding it. And he'll say, my works show that my claim is true. The testimony, testimonies of others will show that it's true. And when will you trust me and enter? If you get me, you see. If you see, you get it. And that will be the question going forth in the gospel of John, that you can feel him narrating this question constantly. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? He'll be asking it all the way up to the cross. Do you get it? Do you see me? Do you hear me? Like real seeing, real hearing, not your not your becoming kind. Because if you do, and the Lord is going to say this in these chapters coming up, and these chapters that are coming up 7 through 10 are the ones we use the most throughout Holy Week. One of them we, we read multiple times where he says, because if you get it, and if you hear me, And if you know what I'm saying, then when the son of man is lifted up, then you will know that I am is he, which is, I get goosebumps now when we sing the hymn, because the first line of that hymn is, this is he, right? The church is recognizing, oh, it's him, right? It's, It's recognizing it, right? It made the hymn to be epically more significant. Right? When, when tied back to this gospel, he's saying, when I am is lifted up, will you see me? Will you hear me? Like a real seeing? Because if you do when I'm lifted up, you will know. And if you embrace your becoming worlds, in the world that is, even as I am is doing, you will also be, rather than dying, to him be glory now and always the age of all ages. Amen.